Well, good morning, church. We want to thank God for the Glamazon mom educating us a little bit more on this uh, first Sunday of Black History Month. And we do praise God for an opportunity to give honor to whom honor is due. Because for too long and far too often, honor, yet alone insight, have not been given to the accomplishments as well as to the essence of who black people are in this country. And so uh, we thank God for opportunities to educate and even to inspire. It reminds me of the statue that's on the campus of Tuskegee Institute uh, where Booker T. Washington is lifting a cover off of uh, a slave and it's the unveiling where he's able to see the truth, see the light because someone is lifting the veil of slavery, the veil of bondage, even the veil of ignorance from off of his eyes so that he might see. And so we get to do that uh, every day, but especially during Black History Month. And at Strong Tower Bible Church, where our vision is to experience, explain, and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world, this just plays into our DNA of who we are. I'm honored to have pastored a multiracial church in the South for over 25 years now. And at this stage, our congregation is majority African-American. And so we want to honor you. We want to encourage you uh, during this time, during this season, because as one of our members said to me, it seemed like for the last four years as black people, we could barely breathe in America. And so now there is hope on the horizon, not that our hope is in government as far as men are concerned, but our hope is in God. And we thank God that we can breathe a little easier now as black people. And we're looking forward to what God has on the horizon, what he has in store. And uh, as far as our church, we have a few things going on this month to celebrate Black History Month on Wednesday nights. Uh, I am going to be speaking with white members of our congregation. Uh, and I know there may be some people say, gee, Pastor, why you got to be so blunt by saying black and white? Why can't you just say people? Well, that's why you need to tune in on Wednesday nights with us, because on Wednesday nights, I'm asking white people what Black History Month means to them. So if you have trouble with direct terminology, you're going to have trouble living in the world in which we live in today. Uh, folks didn't have trouble with direct terminology back in the day when they had uh, water fountains marks for black only, for white only. Uh, so don't give me none of that stuff that you're too fragile to be able to listen to white people talk about what Black History Month means to them. So kicking it off, we have my brother Will Anderson this coming week, and we're, we're going to get into it. We're going to ask some really good questions. And uh, again, we're going we're gonna to listen to our white brothers and sisters articulate God's diverse kingdom. And then we're going to be followed up the next week with Dustin and Courtney Cocter, uh, and then bringing up the rear, uh, my rear armor bearer, Elder Paul Revere, and his lovely wife, Carolyn Revere. Um, they're going to talk with Doreen and I. So it's going to be great uh, during the month of February on Wednesday nights, what Black History Month means to white people. So make sure you tune in. And then uh, uh, at the end of the month, we're going to continue in our tradition of our soul food luncheon. Yes, yes, we're going to do that. We, we got to feed you, right? And we're going to do that on the last Sunday of the month. It's going to be a drive-through where we will bless you and your family with plates that have been catered in uh, with various uh, 
pieces of soul food on the menu, all right? So you should have received an email from AFRA this past week, and you need to register for that. I need to tell you now, don't play. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do it last minute. Don't miss that deadline because we're going to buy food based upon uh, the registrants that we have. So make sure you read that email, make sure you register for yourself, for your family, all right? So that we can uh, feed you well. And there are gonna be some other gifts that day we're gonna bless you with. Oh man, it's gonna be awesome, all right, all right? So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. And let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for an opportunity, another opportunity to enjoy the day that you have made. We thank you, O oh great God and creator, that you've allowed us to be in your presence one more time. For it's in you that we live, that we move, and that we have our being. So Lord, would you bless us now as we get into your word, that your word might get into us. Lord, lift the veil of ignorance today. Lift the veil of prejudice and implicit bias today. Lift the veil, Lord God, of the things that are in our heart and even in our society with the truth that your son Jesus said will set us free. Set us free, Jesus. Touch the skeptic today. Touch the unbeliever today. Encourage your disciples today so that when it's all said and done, we can give your name the glory and live like the salt and the light of the world that you've called us to be. For it's in Jesus' name that I ask it all. Amen and amen. As you heard today, Carter G. Woodson is the father of Black History Week, which evolved into Black History Month. It was Carter Woodson who said, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. In other words, as you look at things or look at life, that is what you end up becoming. And when we think about representation, it was imperative for a man like him who saw the importance of making sure that the Negro would no longer be miseducated. And he took it upon himself to not only educate the Negro or the African-American, the black American, but also all Americans concerning the contributions that black people have made to the scope, not only of American history, but also of world history. And so it's important because if we only see images that look like someone else, then there's a chance we might not be able to become all that God wants us to be. But when we can see it, we can be it. If we can behold it, we can become it. So it's important for black people to see other black people who have made uh, wonderful accomplishments in this world. Because if we can behold it, we can become it. And I'm here to let you know that as beautiful as Black History Month is, I'm here to let you know that true black history starts before slavery. Can I get a virtual amen? True black history starts before slavery because some textbooks that we encountered when we were in school um, pretty much summed up our existence as slavery 
Abraham Lincoln, Martin Luther King. And that was pretty much it as far as black history was concerned. But I'm here to let you know today that our history starts and begins before slavery. In fact, true black history starts before, before we were kings and queens on the majestic and civilized continent of Africa. So our history even begins before we were kings and queens on the majestic and civilized continent of Africa. And I say civilized because once again, Hollywood has often portrayed Africa as something that was prehistoric even in the common time. Uh, something where, where, a place where cannibals resided and people who had bones through their noses and running around naked all day long. That, that is what Hollywood portrayed. And then they would bring in a white Tarzan, Johnny Weissmiller, and he would have authority over all of the Africans and even the animals there. And so we have to, again, change the narrative. We have to change what we see and let the truth set us free. And so true black history not only starts before slavery, true black history not only starts before we were kings and queens in Africa, but true black history starts, thank God, in the Bible. <laughs> true black history starts in the Bible. The, the very book that was unfortunately used against us. The very book that the slave master used to desecrate and demean and to deny us is the same book that has our liberty, our value, our, our identity captured within its pages. And so we're going back to the book, not the slave Bible that had parts intentionally taken out so that the slaves could hear the parts about slaves obey your masters, but not some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about today. And so true black history starts, thank God, in the Bible, and true black history starts in Genesis chapter 1. Oh, yes. Oh, I, I wish, what I'm going to talk about today, I wish I had learned in Bible college. I wish I had learned in seminary. But unfortunately, you know, I had to eat the, the meat and throw out the bones. Um, I was taught the things of God in Bible college and seminary through a Eurocentric prism uh, where, where, where whiteness was normalized and centralized, where uh, Michelangelo's painting of creation has a white god who looks like Santa Claus who's been weightlifting reaching over to touch a white Adam to give him life. And all the angels were white. And Moses was white. And Abraham was white. And of course, Jesus was white. And those things were not questioned. They were just meant to be accepted as they were. And when you began to question those things, as I did in school, you would then hear, you know, hey, hey, it's not important what color those people were. Well, uh, it might not be important to you because all of them look like you. But the minute we start challenging it, now all of a sudden we're making race an issue. We're, we're being race baiters. Now we're being truth seekers of God, and we want the truth. And before uh, Thomas Jefferson ever wrote the words in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator well, with certain inalienable rights, uh, 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 God <laughs> declared who we are. 
Uh, the Constitution gets it from God. And the people who wrote the Constitution didn't really mean that to apply to non-white people. It didn't uh, uh, apply to the indigenous people of the land. It didn't apply even to women in the land. And it surely didn't apply to enslaved Africans in the land. Uh, but, but we're going back to the Bible. Can somebody say amen? Genesis chapter 1, uh, verses 26 through 27 reads as follows. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Hallelujah. So we see that God created us. We did not descend from apes. We did not descend from an amoeba. God created us. And God created us in his own image and in his own likeness. Three times in these two verses, we see the word image, image, image. And this term, the imago Dei, is Latin for the image of God. That humans have been created in the image of God or in the imago Dei. And I'm here to let you know that that is the power play. When you understand who you are based on the fact of whose you are, it changes the game. When you recognize your value, your worth, your dignity, your purpose because of who your creator is and what he endowed you with, uh, 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 my God, it changes the game. So today, I pray with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can preach a message entitled, The Imago Day is a Power Play. Oh, yes, it is. The Imago Day. So, Lord, lift the veil of ignorance off of your people today. And just because something may be new to you, Christian, doesn't mean that it's wrong. Just because you've never heard this stuff before doesn't mean that it's not correct. But let God be true in every man or what? A liar. Unfortunately, even if it's your granddaddy, even if, if it's your Sunday school teacher, even if it's your pastor, because sometimes Omission, not saying things, continues to reinforce things that are understood in society. So if your pastor, your Bible study teacher, whatever, don't mention these things, they may be submitting to what's understood in society and being complicit to what's been told to us for centuries. But again, we've got to speak the truth and let God speak. So, so we're going to see three things today about how the Imago Day. Is truly a power play. Number one, we're going to see that the Imago Dei reminds black people of our worth in the sight of God. Yes. The Imago Dei, number two, allows black people to see ourselves in redemptive history. And thirdly, the Imago Dei is a power play because it empowers black people to define our own beauty. My, 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 my. Let's get ready. Let's go. Point number one, the Imago Dei that we just read from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, reminds black people of our worth in the sight of God. Now, I have to emphasize black people because this is Black History Month. Uh, 
And I have to emphasize black people because, again, for far too long, we were told and treated as if we had no worth or no value. We were treated as second-class citizens. We were denied the fact that we were made in the image of God, and they tried to make it seem like we were nothing but beasts and animals fit only to be ruled. And so again, I've got to come back and speak the truth and emphasize what black folks need to hear because many of us are still fighting uh, this inferiority complex in our minds and in our psyche, in our soul, that we are not as good as other folks in this country because of what's been handed down from generation to generation. But again, what does the Bible say? And I'm going to prove it today. And so the Imago Dei reminds black people of our worth in the sight of God. You see, to be made in the image of God means that men and women have been created with inherent and intrinsic dignity, honor, value, worth, and purpose. Let me say that one more time. To be made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, means that men and women have been created with inherent and intrinsic dignity, honor, value, worth, and purpose. So in other words, God don't make no junk. <laughs> God makes masterpieces. Uh, uh, look with me in Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. And the Bible says, when I consider your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him, that's speaking of man and woman, a little lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. Did you see what I just read? That the Lord crowned his people with glory and honor. Men and women are kings and queens. So it's no surprise that in Revelation chapter 19 that he is the king of kings. So, so he's kinged us and made us priests in his kingdom. But before that, just by humanity alone, we are crowned with glory and honor and dignity. And the Bible says he made us a little lower than the angels. Now I'm just going to throw this at you real quick. Angels there uh, in the Hebrew is Elohim. And so Elohim can obviously speak of God the creator or it can speak of beings with might and power and authority which angels have. Elohim, in a generic sense, can speak of angels and even people like judges and magistrates who have power. But if we were just to look at this thing, you know, we can say that God made us a little lower than the angels or a little lower than God. And as we're going to see, there's a distinction in creation with everything else that he created compared to men and women. Even a glory that angels do not have because angels were not made in the image of God. But you were and I am. So there's something special and unique about us. Secondly, to be made in the image of God is to bear the image of God. And since God is spirit, this speaks more to your spirit than it does to your body. 
because God technically does not have a body. Uh, John chapter 4 says that God is spirit. So to be made in the image of God, first and foremost, is to have a spirit that's compatible with God. So, so it goes beyond the external, and the external is very important. But the thing that makes me me is my spirit, uh, not so much the way that I look. Uh, the thing that makes you you is your spirit, your unique spirit. Even if you have a twin, even if you're part of a group of triplets, there's nobody like you in your spirit, even though there are other people who may look like you in your body. So there's something that God did when he created us. He put his signature, his stamp on our hearts and on our souls. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says that he has put eternity into the hearts of men. So we know that there's more to this life than this life. We know it inherently, intrinsically. It's within us because God made us in his image. Being made in the image of God means that men and women have the ability unlike animals, to do the following things. We can communicate. We can communicate with our creator and we can communicate with one another, which means we can comprehend communication. We can comprehend what God is saying. We can comprehend what one another is saying. We've been made in the image of God, the one who communicates, and obviously the one who comprehends all things. Being made in the image of God means that we can reason and rationalize. We can think things over. We can think things through. We can relate to folks. We can thus have relationships. Uh, we can, look at this, because we're made in the image of God, we can create just like our creator does. So, so we're made in the image of God. I love my dog, Lulu, but Lulu can't create nothing but a mess sometimes. And, and being made in the image of God means that I have the capacity to be loved and to love others and even to love myself, which means I have the ability to feel and even to emote being made in the image of God is a beautiful thing that sets us apart as the crown of his creation. Being made in the image of God means that I have the ability to reflect the glory of God so that when people see me, they see God's handiwork, Ephesians chapter 2 tells me. Also, being made in the image of God means that I get to worship God because let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we may see trees with outstretched branches, but trees don't have a soul. And that's why I'm not going to let no tree or rock cry in my place, because I understand that I was created to give him glory. I was created to worship him and to ascribe honor to him, because without him, there would be no me. And since I'm here, I'm going to give him glory. Oh, that rhyme. Let me keep on going. Because I've been made in the image of God, he's given me the ability to choose. I can make decisions. And because I'm human and not God, I am therefore held accountable to the decisions that I make. So he doesn't make us robots. Uh, we're not puppets on a string. He gave us the ability to choose. So when he set Adam and Eve up in the garden, he says, you're free to eat everything that's in here. But from this one tree, you cannot eat from this tree. For the day you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. He gave them the ability to choose, but also inherently they understood, like God, good and evil. 
Oh, my goodness. Being made in the image of God is a beautiful thing. These are the communicable attributes that humans have. Communicable attributes just speak to the fact that there are certain things that God has that we have because we've been made in his image. But then there are incommunicable attributes. There are uh, qualities that only God has by himself. But I thank God that there are some things that we have, communicable attributes because we've been made in his image and in his likeness. This is a beautiful thing. To be made in the image of God means that each human being has a moral center or a conscience that understands right and wrong. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. It's been said that humans are the only beings that God created that can blush. You see what I'm saying? That can blush. Uh, uh, animals don't blush. Humans blush because we understand right and wrong. Not only that, each human uh, being has an innate and inherent ability to know that there is a God. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. So everyone that's been created knows that there is a creator. Now, there are some, according to Romans chapter 1, who seek to suppress that knowledge, to deny that knowledge, even though it's been made plain to us, Paul wrote in Romans 1. That's why the, the psalm writer would say, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. No, you know there's a God. You just don't want to live for that God and be held accountable to that God because the essence of the fall is found in the fact that humans want to be God. We want to be independent of God. That's what got Adam and Eve in trouble. That's what gets us in trouble. But no, we are the created thing. <laughs> and we need to submit to the creator. Oh my, this is good, y'all, this is good. Uh, uh, another thing about being made in the image of God is that to be made in the image of God means that God, listen to this, went from using his voice to create everything. Remember he said, let there be light, and there was light. Uh, uh, let the firmament separate, uh, and all. He kept speaking, uh, and it was so. But when he got down to making us on the sixth day, the Bible says he went from just speaking to now using his hands. So he went from speaking, because he said in chapter one, uh, let us make man in our own image. But in chapter two, we see a close-up of how he actually did it. And when he made Adam, he made Adam from the dust of the ground. And when he made Eve, he made Eve from a rib out of Adam's side. So, so again, we, we see this delicacy, we see this intentionality of the Lord to use his hands when he made mankind. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He formed him and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So that's when we got our soul, our spirit essence from God, which from that point on gave us the ability to live forever. Every soul is going to live forever, either with God or away from God. Your soul does not die because your soul was made in the image of God. Now, unlike God, we are not eternal to the point that we have no beginning. 
No, we have a beginning and it started in the garden. But God has no beginning to his eternality. But because he made us in his image, we are now immortal beings similar to God who is immortal and eternal. My, 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 my. And so we will live forever somewhere. Oh, but, mm, mm, mm. but the good news, we can live with God because he's, he's the redeemer who came to bring us back to God through the sacrificial death and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is called, according to Paul, the last Adam. Because the first Adam, oh man, he slipped, tripped, all that, man. And we have like fallen dominoes. We've fallen because of Adam and Eve. But then there was another domino, capital D, uh, the deity of God. He came in the guise of human flesh to undo what the first Adam did wrong. He stood in the gap and gave his life for Adam's family, for all the children, all the lawbreakers, all the sinners. Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and that is live a righteous life before God and even to offer his righteous life on behalf of sinners. My, that's the gospel. That's the good news. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Oh, I said I wasn't going to chase too many rabbits today. Uh, 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 and so God makes Adam from the dust of the ground. And if we were to get into the Hebrew, uh, the words ground and dust, uh, it speaks of red clay. That God made Adam from the clay, the, the dust, the red earth. Uh, uh, and he breathed into him and he became a living being. Uh, 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 the name Adam means man. But watch this though. It could also mean Red man. Now, I'm not talking about the dude from the Wu-Tang Clan. I'm talking about when God made Adam, Adam, he was taken from red clay. He was the first man or the first hue man of color. Uh, I'm just trying to say that Adam and Eve weren't white folk. They were people of color because the name Adam is close to the name Edom. Edom means red in the Bible. Edom comes from Esau, and when Esau was born, he was hairy, and no doubt his hair was red. They looked at him and called him Esau. Later, he would be called Edom, the Edomites, the red people. So Edom, Adam, means red. So if anything, Adam was not a white man. He may have been one of our indigenous, native brothers, you know, in terms of what his appearance may have looked like. Oh, I wish I could chase that more, but I just wanted to give you that. Matter of fact, while I'm here, I'm going to give you something for free. Uh, uh, uh. The Garden of Edom, Eden, <laughs> is not located in Europe. If you read your Bible, the Bible says in the book of Genesis chapter 2 that where the Garden of Eden was located, it was near the land of Cush. What is the land of Cush? That is the land of Ethiopia. Where is Ethiopia? Ethiopia is in what we call Africa. So Adam and Eve were placed in a parcel of land in the Garden of Eden that was somewhere nearby Africa. So they had to have been people of color because you, anyway, I got to keep going. I got to keep going. I got to keep going. Number two, the Imago Day allows black people to see ourselves in redemptive history. Yeah, 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 we get to see ourselves in redemptive history. There was a time when black folks watched television that they did not see themselves on television. 
Uh, and there would have to be breakthrough moments where, where uh, Bill Cosby would be on iSpy. There would be breakthrough moments where Sidney Poitier would be on the big screen. But for the most part, black people did not see themselves on screen. Uh, and if they did see themselves on screen, it was in the kind of roles that did not speak of our dignity, our honor, and our worth, because we would be on screen as uh, slaves and as maids and as people speaking uh, uh, who, who show that they did not have intelligence. So that was the image that America wanted to portray of us. Uh, but there came a time where we broke the color barrier. There came a time where our presence became more normalized on the screen. And a lot of times when you read the Bible again, our presence was not included in the scriptures. But if, if you read the scriptures, you're going to see that we're all over the scriptures. Ma, 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 ma. And this is a beautiful thing. So the Imago Dei allows black people to see ourselves in redemptive history. Pastor, what are you talking about? Acts chapter 17 Verses 26 and 27, Paul is preaching on Mars Hill at the Areopagus. He, a Jew, is speaking to Greeks, and here's what he says. And he, speaking of God, has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. Let me stop right there. That God has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. So why do I go back to Genesis 1 to prove that black people have dignity and honor as being created by God? Because Acts 17 tells me that. Because from Adam, the whole earth was populated. Every nation, or in the Greek ethnos, ethnic group, comes from Adam who was created by God. So when Paul says that God made from one, now, in the original language, technically, the word blood is not there because some versions will say one blood or one man. But technically, blood and man, those words are not there in the Greek language. So technically, it should read, he has made from one every ethnos of men. So from one, from Adam. And then in the secondary sense, from Noah. Why Noah? Because the whole earth became repopulated after the flood. So Noah is a direct descendant of Adam. And from Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, the whole world was populated, Genesis chapter 10. So from one, in the primary sense, is Adam. And in the secondary sense, is Noah. He's made every ethnic group on the face of the earth. That's God right there. So I trace my lineage I, I go past slavery, and I go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to define who I am. I've been made in the image of God. And not only that, verse 26 says that he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. My, my, my. The people of the nations, have you found the Lord? Have you found the one who really found you? <laughs> have you found the one who's searching after you? Are you reaching out towards the one? I don't care what nation you're from. He made you and he wants to redeem you and bring you back. So now I got to go to Revelation chapter 7 to see how it all wraps up redemptively in terms of history is concerned. Because in Revelation chapter 7, the Bible reads, after these things, verse 9, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all what? 
nations. So it's not going to look like the Republican Party in heaven. Bunch of old white people only in heaven. No, it's going to look diverse in heaven. And everybody not just going to speak English in heaven. They're going to speak their native tongue in heaven. We all will, and we will understand what one another is saying. So, so there will be, we will keep a certain aspect of our humanity in heaven because God has redeemed all of that about us. So, so there's this number that no one can count. Where are they from? The tribes. Thank you, Jesus. My people come from tribes. Native people come from tribes, peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed with white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God, not y'all's God, but our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Oh my God. So that's redemptive history, which connects back to Genesis chapter 12, when God said to Abram, through you, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth. So through the Hebrew people, and thank God for the Hebrew Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, every family is going to be blessed. And we see it stated in Genesis, and we see it realized in Revelation. And so when I read this passage in Revelation, because I'm born again, I see myself in the Bible. I'm in the Bible. I'm part of that number which no one could number because I've been saved by the blood of the lamb. One man may have brought me into the earth, but one lamb brings me into the kingdom. I'm saved by the lamb of God. So I'm in Revelation. I, I, I know how the story ends. I'm standing around the throne. I'm worshiping God. That's the good news. And there's no segregation up there in heaven. So let God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I don't have to deny my ethnicity. I don't have to be ashamed of my blackness. I don't have to be ashamed of my language or my accent because God loves me and he's redeemed all of that about me. Thank you, Jesus. But, 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 knowing that I'm a part of redemptive history. It doesn't mean too much if, not, if I'm not a redeemed individual. You see, the reason why I'm in Revelation 7 is because I met the Redeemer. And so if you've never met the Redeemer, you, you can't be a part of Revelation chapter 7. <laughs> you know, being born gave you humanity. Being born allowed you to be born in, in the image of God. But being born again allows you to be born after the image of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Redeemer. You see, in Revelation chapter 20, it says that when God judges the world, he's going to open up the books. And if folks' names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be cast into the lake of fire. If you are an unbeliever, you don't know Jesus. Your name, in a sense, in a general sense, is written in Genesis chapter 1, that you've been made in the image of God. So no matter your ethnicity, no matter any kind of physical challenges or disabilities you may have, your height, your weight, you've been made in the image of God, and you are beautiful. So you're in the book in a general sense. But you'll never be in the book in a specific sense in Revelation if your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. 
<laughs> the only way to get your name written in the Lamb's book of life is to accept the Lamb as your Savior. So then you can have your name in the book in Genesis, and then you can have your name in the book in Revelation. But you got to know the Lord Jesus, the one who came down 42 generations, uh, uh, who sat on the throne of King David. You've got to know Jesus for yourself. Thank you, Lord. So the image of God reminds black people of our worth in the sight of God. It allows black people to see ourselves in redemptive history. But finally, the image of God, the Imago Dei, empowers black people to define our own beauty. <laughs> yeah, 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 to, to define our own beauty. Because for too long, other people defined our beauty. And they said we weren't made in the image of God. They likened us to beasts and to animals. And for upwards of 350 years, there was this negativity concerning how we were portrayed and how we were treated and how we were spoken to. All of those things have contributed to our people um, having to fight against a low self-image as opposed to acknowledging that you should have a God esteem about yourself. But for hundreds of years, our beauty we were spoken down against. And the hate we received caused us to even hate ourselves and even hate other people within our own community. And because the darker the skin that was on the African or the African-American, um, it became a, a place where that dark skin became menacing to white folk. And those who were of a lighter hue, as far as black people, we were seen as being more welcoming, humane, and, 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 and people who were not menacing. And so, and, and you know how we got light like that. And so you, you, you had those who were light, who were closer to the slave master. They were called the house Negroes. But the ones who worked in the field with the sun kissing their back, all day, every day. They were called field Negroes. And so even within the black community, we began to label and fight against one another based on appearance. We began to call one another what we had been called for 300 plus years, and that is the N-word. Won't get into all of that, but, but we, we had issues within our own community where you have this hatred of yourself because you're black and you hate others who are black because again how we have been conditioned to think that black was anything but beautiful that black was ugly that black was shameful that black was evil that black was deadly and and we sought to therefore alter our skin and some would try to bleach their skin we sought to alter our hair. So rather than enjoying the natural kinks and curls that we have, we tried to straighten our hair during a period of American history that we might blend in and be more accepted to white folks who had straight hair naturally. And so we would conk our hair out. We would straighten it. But then some of us were ashamed of our noses because our noses were larger. Some of us were ashamed of our lips 
because our lips were larger and the white man made fun of our lips. And then some of our sisters were even ashamed of how God made them with wider hips. And so you had all of this going on where we were questioning our beauty and our identity because anything associated with black was bad and anything associated with white was good and even beautiful. Mm, mm, mm. But I have to say again that each human is the master's masterpiece. Each human, each human is the master's masterpiece. So when God created mankind, he saved the best for last. When he made Adam and Eve last, because they're made in his image. Again, they are the heightening crown of his creation, even greater than all the universes and galaxies and stars and constellations that he made. He made us last. He saved the best for last, Vanessa Williams. See, he saved the best for last. And not only did he save the best for last, he saved the best best for last. Pastor, what you talking about? Because the last thing that God created was the woman. The last thing. So, 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 so the glory is escalating. He, he creates man in his own image. He makes Adam from the red clay of the earth. But then he puts the brother to sleep and takes one of his ribs out and sculpts, fashions a woman with his hands. And there is a glory that is resident on a woman that is not resident on a man. Oh, you, you know I'm telling the truth right now. Because I can take my shirt off and walk down the street, but don't you let... Oh, but anyway, there's a glory! The hair, the beauty, the, 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 the majesty that's in a woman. God, he, he, he saved the best best for last. But so often our black women were treated even worse than the black man. Many years ago, my wife and I went to Ghana on a missions trip. And while there, we toured uh, the slave castles. And the Europeans, the colonizers, the slave traders, those who've been influenced by demonic doctrines that black people are cursed to a life of slavery, they would build a fort and in the fort, they would have barracks for where the men of power would reside, bedrooms. And, and they even built a church right there on the shore so that while they were enslaving Africans and getting ready to send them to uh, the Americas, uh, they, they took time to worship their God as they were enslaving these beautiful black people. And I remember the tour guide telling us that when a new crop of Africans uh, would be rounded up, captured, and before they would go through the various breaking stations to get them ready for slave ships, because there was a systemic way, a systematic way that they broke the slaves to get them ready to go through the door and the gate of no return to get in those slave ships and go to the Americas. Before that happened, the masters would sit up high and look down low on a group of women. They would separate the men and the women, and they would have no clothes on. And those masters would be up top pointing out the women that they wanted the servants to bring to their room that night. And not only did they point out women, they pointed out little girls. So for a group of people that they thingified, 
for a group of people that they dehumanized, for a group of people that they stigmatized, they still saw their beauty and wanted to rape and take advantage of them. They were human enough, I guess, to sleep with, but they weren't human enough to treat as equals. And so our sisters have had this thing on them where they couldn't be, they can't be their true, beautiful black selves because if they speak their mind, they're gonna be told that they have an attitude. <laughs> uh, if they share their mind, they're gonna be told, uh, who do you think you are? You gotta know your place. And even if they don't say it, it's understood still in 2021. You see, uh, white folks define what beauty was for women, which is why they had trouble thinking that the black slave wanted the white woman. And so they used that as impetus to hunt, kill, castrate black men because the white woman was the crown jewel for the white man. So she was set up. And so you have magazines like Vogue. So the magazine was founded in 1892, and the first black woman was on the cover in 1974. Cosmopolitan is no better. It was founded in 1886, and the first black woman, Beverly Johnson, graced the cover in 1976. So for all of those years and for all of those covers, America only saw white women as the definition of what beauty was for women. But then finally... We broke through in 1974 and 1976, and it was the same woman on both magazine co covers. Pastor, why are you saying this? Because I need to say to our sisters that when God made Eve, he saved the best for last. And when Adam looked at Eve, he said, good gugga mugga. He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. There is a glory about you. Whether the world acknowledges it or not, your lips are not too big. Your hair is not too kinky. Your skin is not too dark. Your hips are not too big. You are beautiful because you've been made in the image of God. Solomon understood that. Solomon, the Hebrew king, he married a black woman. Now, he married a lot of women. And I got to believe a lot of them were black because there were many uh, deals done between nations that occurred through marriage. But in Song of Solomon, chapter 1, beginning at verse 5, his, his wife says, dark am I. That's what she says. Yet lovely. Oh, I got to say it again. Dark am I. Yet lovely. You see, we, we used to have a hair product back in the day called dark and lovely. You know, we had to create our own hair products because uh, we weren't considered in the mainstream in terms of hair products. So, so we had to start our own businesses and things to take care of ourselves. And so she said, dark am I yet lovely, daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kadar. Like the tent curtains of Solomon, do not stare at me because I am dark. Because I am darkened by the sun, my mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. So she says I'm dark partially because I'm out here in the sun working other folks' vineyards. But I'm also dark and lovely because God made me this way. And Solomon had enough sense to choose a beautiful black woman, 
not just because of what she looked like on the inside as far as her spirit, but also he was attracted to what was going on on the outside. So we see an interracial marriage in the Bible. And if you come back next week, I'm preaching a message called Black Wives Matter. Because there were some Hebrew brothers that loved themselves, some black sisters. So we're going to talk about that next week. Amen. Hey, black wives matter. Thank you, Jesus. But I got to say that Lupita Nyong'o matters. Who is she? She's the woman who was in the Black Panther, who was the love interest of T'Challa. She's the one who was in 12 years a slave, and she earned an Academy Award. She's a brilliant actress. But early on, she was told, don't pursue acting because you're too dark. They won't put you on film because you're too dark. And I'm so glad she didn't listen to the people who told her that, but she kept on pressing. Anyhow, uh, they attach shame to dark black skin. But we learn, as we've learned through the centuries, how to flip that stuff and get glory and beauty out of the stuff you put down about us. We begin to eventually accept, embrace, and honor. And we say, thank God, she is a beautiful black woman. And then the inauguration, as I bring this message down, the inauguration was important for us. And really, it didn't have nothing to do with politics. Yeah, that, that stuff has its place. But we sat there excited about what we were going to see on the platform for the inauguration of Joseph Biden. And I got to let you know something. As I sat there with my black wife and my black daughters, <laughs> when Michelle Obama came out them doors with her husband, Barack Obama, there was a greater glory on Michelle than there was on the former president who served two terms. We couldn't take our eyes off of her. She was majestic. Uh, she had grace. She had poise. She had valor. She had dignity. And that beautiful black hair was just bouncing as she was walking, man. Man, we looked at that and we said we were shouting in my living room because there was a representation that we hadn't seen for eight years. That was a representation of beauty in a beautiful black woman. And it was so good for me to see that, <laughs> but it was even better for my daughters to see that so that they could know that there that, that, that is no glass ceiling, that there is nothing that can hold them back, that they can reach the highest places in this country. But then we looked up and we saw Kamala Harris in her beautiful outfit and her long flowing black hair, raised that hand and received the oath to become the first female vice president in the history of this nation. And so we're looking at black accomplishment. We're looking at black beauty and it's feeding life to us because again, for eight years, we felt like we couldn't breathe. You may not understand that, but that's okay. You don't have to understand it because sometimes it's just a black thing. But if you do community with me, when I'm happy, you ought to be happy. Even if it's not your experience, you ought to vicariously understand and celebrate with me the importance of that time. But then it wrapped up with a young black woman as well. Our sister, Amanda Gorman, and she stood there.
He got up there and overcame trying to hold her back. And she had been rising, rising, rising. And President Biden's wife said, we want this woman to come and be the poet laureate that day, making her the youngest poet to ever read at an inauguration. And this beautiful black woman spoke, spoke rich words. And I'm so glad there was a modeling company that said, we need to capitalize on this moment and on this woman's beauty. And, and, and I hear she doing something at the Super Bowl today. My girls, they need to see that. Yeah, you may not get it, but we get it. And we're not going to let anyone define what beauty is. But let me shift gears and talk about the brothers. Because we've also been portrayed in buffoonish ways. We've been portrayed in ways that are not civil, that are not just, that are not right. We've taken roles as black people uh, that continue to cast us in disparaging lights. But I also got to say that there are many of us who are holding it down. We may not make the evening news. They're going to parade somebody else out there on the evening news. But there are more of us representing well and holding it down as kings in our communities, as lords and servants in our homes, you're just not going to see too much of that. On the, and, and if one of us begins to step up and step out, he'll be told to go back to dribbling a basketball. He'll be told to stop singing, or rather stop politicizing and start singing. In other words, you're only acceptable to us to the degree that you can entertain us. But don't you dare challenge us. Don't you dare teach us. But we're all right. Matter of fact, let me tell you something. Speaking of images... When I first came to Franklin, Tennessee in 1993, I was working with a majority white church. And of course, we're talking about the Civil War when I first got here. And I kept hearing states' rights, states' rights, state that the war was fought over states' rights. And I would always say, as the minority who was in the minority, states' rights for what purpose? To be able to own slaves and not be hassled by the government. And so they would disagree with me. And I would quote Frederick Douglass, who lived during the time, who said that the war was fought over slavery, and went to Abraham Lincoln and said, you need to start enlisting slaves into the Federal Union Army to help fight this fight. And he didn't listen at first, but eventually he listened to the wisdom of Frederick Douglass. But when I first got here, that's all they talked about. And they would even show me pictures of slaves in the Confederate Army, uh, dressed with Confederate Army clothes on, slave, black people, trying to say to me, see, Chris, if the war was fought over slavery, why were blacks in the Confederate Army? And I would say, you must think I'm boo-boo the fool. Because just because you have a slave dressed in Confederate uh, uniform, that doesn't mean he's fighting for the Confederacy. Because in all those pictures y'all showed me, none of those brothers ever had a rifle in their hand, I'll tell you that. They had a spoon, a ladle, they carried supplies, 
And they couldn't speak out anyway against the cause, and some of them may have been brainwashed anyway, but, but I, I turned my attention to the other side, where the United States Colored Troop soldiers lined up, where 186,000 men fought for America's freedom, because no nation can be free that enslaves God's children. So they were fighting not only for their freedom, but for America's freedom. And it's that image that I got to look at. <laughs> Matter of fact, if the Lord wills, this June 19th, which is Saturday, 2021, which is Juneteenth, the time when slaves in Texas realized their freedom, uh, almost two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, where they were still working on plantations because the good news had not gotten to the people in Galveston, Texas, that they were free under the Emancipation Proclamation and even as a result of the war being won by the North. They were still working as slaves even though technically they were free. So by the time the word got to them on June 19th, that's when they experienced the freedom that was theirs. So we celebrate Juneteenth. And so on Juneteenth of 2021, guess what's going up in downtown Franklin with the help of Franklin, with the help of Strong Tower Bible Church and other believers around this community who raised upwards of 150000 thousand dollars so that we could have a black sculpture put together a sculpture of a black union soldier who will stand with a rifle in his hand down on the square of Franklin Tennessee on a place of equal nobility adjacent to the Confederate monument that has stood since 1899 so there's only been one representation in the city of Franklin for all of this time but a new day is emerging our brother's going to stand there with glory with his foot on the tree of lynching with the rifle in his hand, shackles being broken, looking with determination in his eyes, life-size uh, sculpture on eye level. You mean to tell me that that's not going to change folk? My, yes, it is. It's going to change because there will be representation. But pastor, what, what this got to do about defining beauty? Because whenever you have art, you're going to have critics. And there were a couple of critics, some black, but mostly white, who didn't like what the maquette looked like. They, they said, it don't look right. And they began to talk to people on our team and try to get them to doubt this image that has been created so beautifully by a black artists. And, and so, the, so, so those uh, opinions started to weigh in, and I said, wait a minute, now, hold up, hold up, hold up now. Please receive what I'm about to say. We will not let anyone outside of our community and even outside of this project define for us what black beauty and dignity and valor looks like. You don't have the right to tell us what a black man ought to look like that's been created and sculpted by a black art. You don't have that right to define our beauty. But if we say it's beautiful, it's beautiful, and we don't care what you think. Because the days of needing white approval are over. The days of needing white permission, those days are over. We'll work with you. We'll walk with you. But we are not going to thingify ourselves. We're not going to declassify ourselves in the name of unity. No, 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 no. This is something you need to follow our lead on and trust what we're saying when we say that something is beautiful.
the image of God, the Imago Dei. Man, it's the power play. When we get a hold of this, all people get a hold of this. We won't think of ourselves as supreme to other people. No, we will think of ourselves as precious, beautiful people made in the image of God who can love other people who are made in the image of God and not treat anyone better or worse than we ourselves because we are bound together by humanity and for the church, we're bound together by the blood of Jesus. So any kind of classing in the church should not exist, especially in this country with all that we've been through because the artists, the creator. He made us in his image. You know, when I watch Good Times, <laughs> one of the first shows that highlighted the black family on television, another was Sanford and Son, and think about it, you got a black family in the junkyard, then you got a black family living in the projects, that that's how we got our introduction to mainstream television. And those good times were usually hard times, it was stressful watching that show. Still is when I watch reruns. They never really did make it out together until the last episode, and then they don't even show you where they moved. They just show them happy at the end. Can, can you at least take us to the new place on Lakeshore Drive? But those are the images. And J.J., he was the clown of the show. And as a result, John Amos began to speak to the producers and the writers saying, Will you make the black male the focus of the show and not the son acting like a buffoon every show? Well, because of that, John Amos was looked at as being difficult to work with. And they ended up silencing him and getting rid of his character. And so James was written off of the show, and J.J., once again, he stood in the center as the star of the show. Well, one good thing about J.J., the character, was that he was a painter. He had a gift. He could paint. And what a lot of people don't know is that those paintings were done by a black man named Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks was a former football player who was also a painter, and he had a unique style where he would elongate the body, and he would paint muscles with detail, but he would elongate. And so when J.J. would paint, those were Ernie Banks' uh, 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 paintings. And there's one that he's painted of a woman, and it's called Slam Dunk. And it shows the sister going up, ready to dunk. And I love it because it's not typical, because we don't think of our sisters as having that kind of athletic prowess. But in art, you can do things and create things, and man, she's going in for the dunk. And it's beautiful to behold. But what makes the painting amazing and immaculate it's not so much the oil that's on the canvas and the colors. That stuff has its place. But what gives it its beauty is the painter who painted it. Ernie has a style. He has a way. And so when you see his work, you see the artist. Because can't nobody paint like that. And when folks see you, when they see me, they see someone that's beautiful, but above all, they see the creator. They see the artist who's made you. So, so, so we can say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and my soul knows that full well. 
Father, thank you for this word. Lift the veil. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen.